Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. Hello and welcome. It's great to have your company for this 60th episode of the Macquarie Street political podcast. Lots of election analysis today. What does it all mean for conservatives and people of faith? Also, in non-election news, the Victorian Liberals have expelled pro-life MP Bernie Finn. It's a bad look, and I'll have something to say about that later in the show. Also coming up, this is the week the elites fly into in their private jets into Davos to lecture us about reducing our carbon footprint. Here's Mr. Great Reset, Klaus Schwab himself. Let's also be clear. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us, by a powerful community as you here in this room. No thanks, Klaus. More on the World Economic Forum later in the show. But first, let's unpack what happened at last weekend's election. And I say to my fellow Australians, thank you for this extraordinary honour. Tonight, the Australian people have voted for change. I am humbled by this victory, and I'm honoured to be given the opportunity to serve as the 31st Prime Minister of Australia. My Labor team will work every day to bring Australians together. And I will lead a government worthy of the people of Australia. Australia's drift from the values you and I hold dear escalated at the weekend with the election of an Albanese Labor government. Despite our philosophical differences, it is appropriate and right to congratulate him and his team and to wish them well. And I mean that sincerely. I really do hope he can bring Australians together. But make no mistake, Australia will change and not all of it for the better. 16 radical Greens, 12 in the Senate and 4 in the House of Representatives, plus 6 teal independents have now been given unprecedented sway in our parliament. All these people share a worldview that is hostile, not tolerant, but hostile to biological gender, human rights for the unborn, freedom, faith and family. That's just the reality of what they believe. Now, most in the Labor caucus also believe these things. Even though two out of three Australians did not vote for Labor, the preferences of their influence elected the most left-wing government since Federation. These are tough times for Conservatives and for those of us who hold a Judeo-Christian worldview. But we can't just pull the doona up and hope it will all go away. Democracy only works when we participate. Australia needs a political party that will stand unashamedly for the family, for the unborn, for the truth about gender, for freedom and for the Judeo-Christian virtues that have built Australia and the West. We can't wait three years until the next election to build this movement. For those of you who've been following my journey, you'll know that I'm committed to this. Uh, I'll have more to say and uh, something to announce very shortly. But in the meantime, can I encourage you to sign up to receive my political communications? Uh, You can go to lyleshelton.com.au. That's lyleshelton.com.au. And uh, you'll never miss a political update uh, from me. Our nation desperately needs this movement. And uh, I encourage you to get on board. Thanks so much. (laughs) 
God calls us, whether you're a prime minister or a pastor, um, running a business, teaching in schools, working in the police force, doesn't matter. We're each called to trust and obey. And uh, that's the life of faithfulness He calls us to. And that's how we live our faith each and every day, regardless of what your job is, and to express it through how you do that. I'm very pleased that the last thing I say is PM here. So I'm not going to rely on my own words. Habakkuk 3.17. Even if the fig tree does not blossom, no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive oil fails, and if the fields produce no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Micah 7, 15. You like this one? As in the day when you went out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. And in Micah 7, 7 to 8, But as for me, I will be on the watch for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, enemy of mine. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I live in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. May God bless Australia. May God bless our community. And may God continue to show his favour on this wonderful church family. Now, I can't think of a more fitting and humble way for someone to bow out of high office. Whatever any of us think about Scott Morrison, his faith in God is without question. No one can doubt this, and no one can doubt his diligence as he held his high office and his commitment to Australia. Getting us through the pandemic and signing us up to the AUKUS Nuclear Submarine Pact were big achievements from his almost four years in the top job. All I want to say on behalf of myself and listeners and viewers of this podcast is thanks to you, Mr. Morrison, and your family for your service to our nation. God bless you. Well, where to from here? In an election where neither of the parties of government offered an agenda of substance, many Australians voted for those who did. Whether they knew what they were voting for is a different matter, but it's only human to be drawn towards conviction and vision, even if deeply flawed. That meant that the Greens and the so-called Teals, a new group of women candidates running on climate change and a new federal anti-corruption body, were the standout winners. They can't say what 
more action on climate change will achieve, let alone how much it will cost. They can define woman, but not in the way that's understood by mainstream Australians. Despite this, hundreds of thousands of people in our wealthiest suburbs voted for them. In a like-for-like -like swap, six teals even swept aside the Liberals' wokest climate and gender-fluid zealots, crippling the party in traditional strongholds. In punishing ideological fellow travellers, the Teals' aim was to smash the Liberals as a force for conservative and mainstream values and force them to keep drifting to the left in a chase to regain their seats. It's a brilliant tactic, and it will hobble the Liberals. The Greens' political party, which is a fifth column for every agenda that seeks to destroy our Western economic and cultural inheritance, took seats from both major parties to increase its representation in the House of Representatives to four. And in a surge in their Senate vote, uh, that means that there'll be 12 Green Senators controlling the new Albanese government's ability to pass legislation. I'll say that again, no legislation gets passed without the Greens' support, unless the government teams up with the Liberals and the Nationals. For example, the new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and his Labor government uh, may want to increase defence spending. Now, if, if they want to do this in the face of Chinese Communist Party aggression, it will need the support of the coalition to override the Greens' death wish for our nation. Wittingly or unwittingly, voters have shifted Australia radically leftwards. Labor hardheads like the new Deputy uh, Prime Minister Richard Miles will try and ensure that they govern from the centre. But the countervailing forces in Parliament will be three groups. The crazy left of Labor, think Penny Wong and Tanya Plibersek, the Greens, and three, the Teals. These groups want action on climate regardless of the economic consequences, and they want radical social policy such as taxpayer funding for sex change operations on young people. These are not the forces that are likely to be well disposed to freedom of religion and parents' rights to protect their kids from gender fluid indoctrination at school. Detoxing the school curriculum of critical race and queer theory will not happen. The left will simply double down on the dumbing down of our kids. There's no hope of free speech returning to university campuses in this political environment. Forget about a bill to protect women's sports from the intrusion of biological males. And expect public hospitals to have their funding tied to their willingness to perform abortion on demand all the way to birth, because that is Labor policy. Elections have consequences. Each of these political forces of the left now has the unprecedented leverage in our political system thanks to the votes of people in wealthy suburbs of Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. These people have the luxury of wallowing in self-actualization and they have enough money to insulate themselves from the consequences. So what now for the centre-right of politics? It is fractured and leaderless, like the Teals, but with no discipline, a gaggle of freedom parties cannibalised coalition votes, particularly in the Senate. But their, their preferences under the Australian system of preferential voting sprayed everywhere. As a result, nothing coherent from the freedom parties will emerge in the new parliament. Billionaire Clive Palmer's United Australia Party failed to save Australia. It was simply an expensive vanity project. Such were the surge to the left and the incoherence on the centre right that even Pauline Hanson is at risk of losing her One Nation seat to the Greens. The Teals wipeout of the modern Liberals means the Liberal Party will have a big fight about how woke 
it should go in chasing their lost blue ribbon seats. Like New York and California, Australia's rich inner city suburbs are a different planet economically and philosophically to mainstream Australia. The Libs should take a leaf out of Princess Elsa's book and let them go. The pathway to government must be through prosecuting an agenda that's in the national interest and by going to the voters in the suburbs and the regions with the good sense to give them such a mandate. The Nationals held all their seats thanks in large part to the relentless advocacy of Queensland Senator Matt Canavan. He didn't flinch on opposing net zero or the definition of woman. He knows how to prosecute an argument and has turned the Labor voters of the Capricornia coal cities into rusted on coalition voters. If only the Liberals could relearn the art of persuasion, it worked for the Nationals and the Teals. Despite the warm feelings we all have for Albanese's log cabin story and his soaring rhetoric about bringing us all together, the chickens will come home to roost when he can't deliver all the free stuff he's promised. Free childcare, free TAFE, more money for Medicare and the National Disability Insurance Scheme all sound exciting, like Christmas. But when economic reality bites, the electricity grid is unstable, government debt fueled inflation is out of control, interest rates are high and parents are sick of woke schools which produce dumb students, the electoral cycle will turn to those who will clean up the mess. This is not to doubt the legitimacy of our new Prime Minister, but our system allowed him to be elected when two out of every three Australians did not vote for his party. The Coalition's first preference uh, vote was also in the 30% range. Australians are looking for vision and conviction and finding it on the fringes. Thanks to the Teals and the Greens, it is the left fringe that prevailed at this election. Because the Liberals stood for nothing, people have fallen for the unattainable. We're in for a tough few years. So what did go wrong on Saturday? Well, I think we need to be always focused on our economic policy priorities. And if we have a fulsome economic program, then we're not going to drift into divisive issues as we did too readily during the campaign and in these past few months. Uh, we spent too much time, for example, talking about these trans issues uh, during the religious discrimination debate, but then again during the campaign. And I think many people just thought it was very strange and very weird. Well, even up until late Saturday afternoon, someone within Liberals was briefing that Catherine Deves was playing very well in Western Sydney. That wasn't true. No, it wasn't. And I think that the Australian people are looking for a Liberal Party, which is a live and let live Liberal Party, a Liberal Party which is focused on fairness, protecting minorities and ensuring that uh, everyone gets a, a fair go. And I think... Uh, the idea that you'd import US culture wars into Australia is a uh, electorally, electorally bankrupt strategy. Well, whose idea was that? Well, well, I'm not sure how these issues received so much prominence, uh, but they are not the issues that are on the minds of, of people. Now, that was Liberal Senator Andrew Bragg talking to Sky News host Laura Jays and dismissing issues which concern millions of mainstream Australians. You can see here that the so-called moderates of the Liberal Party have a winner-takes-all approach to what Bragg dismisses as US-style culture wars. Mainstream Australians are not allowed to express concern because that is divisive, so we just have to shut up about biological males robbing girls of opportunity in sport. 
He says these issues are not uh, front of mind uh, with people, but the flip side is that we don't get to have a say. For instance, Bragg's colleague Trent Zimmerman, who lost his North Sydney seat to a teal at the weekend, had this to say. He posted on social media a, a picture of his happiest day in Parliament, draped in the flag of the radical LGBTIQA plus political movement, a flag that says, among other things, mothers are chest feeders and birthing persons. Zimmerman is applauding the passing of the redefinition of marriage. Labor's Linda Burney is hugging the Liberals' Warren Inch, while another Liberal, Jason Flinsky, who also lost his seat to a teal, looks on. This image goes to the heart of the Liberal Party's problem and why a political home is necessary for people who know the family and freedom must be fought for. It was Zimmerman and other rebel Liberals who sided with Labor back in 2017 to get their way on same-sex marriage. When change was finally enacted, Zimmerman led the charge against reasonable amendments in the parliament, amendments which would have provided for freedom of speech and religion for those who held to the timeless view of marriage. Again, this year, Zimmerman led the charge in parliament to torpedo Prime Minister Scott Morrison's bid to enact modest protections for freedom of religion. The rainbow flag represents an intolerant political ideology. It demands that children are taught harmful gender-fluid ideology at school. It demands that anyone who dissents be hauled before human rights commissions and tribunals, as I have been. The rainbow flag is a million miles from the values of the founder of the Liberal Party, Sir Robert Menzies. While Zimmerman and five of his woke buddies are gone, it makes no difference to the ideological makeup of the parliament. Their teal replacements also believe that people with penises can be women and compete in their sports. But the Teals will have the last laugh as they watch the Liberals now fight over whether their party should also cross this rainbow Rubicon or move back into the mainstream. This is the battle for the heart and soul of the Liberal Party. Make no mistake, Zimmerman's parting social media post and Senator Bragg's contribution on Sky this week is calculated to tighten the python squeeze. With the federal Liberals trying to work out whether to keep going woke, the Victorian Liberals this week sensationally expelled longtime Upper House MP Bernie Finn. His crime was standing up for the human rights of unborn babies in the wake of the Supreme Court of the United States' decision to overturn Roe v Wade. Clearly, there's no place in the Victorian Liberals for people who speak up and advocate a pro-life view. Here's what Bernie's, Bernie Finn said on the steps of Parliament House in Spring Street. Well, I think it's very sad that uh, we've got to this point. Uh, I've always been of the view uh, that the Liberal Party is the party of free speech. Uh, clearly, it no longer is. Uh, and I think that's going to be very, very sad for thousands and thousands of Liberals um, throughout the state. And, you know, I've been contacted uh, since the decision uh, was reached uh, by a, a number of people uh, who have said that they are leaving the party as a result of that. And, uh, and I think that's very, very sad. Now, it's the Andrews government that has developed a reputation for its totalitarian impulses. Seems the Liberals under Matthew Guy think their path to government is to mimic Chairman Dan and shut down debate in the most ruthless of manners. This will be a shock to social conservatives who've always been tolerated within the Liberal Party. It seems no longer. Well, this is the week global elites jump in their private jets and converge on the Swiss ski resort of Davos for their annual talk fest on how to reset our lives. Here's their chairman, Klaus Schwab, giving his keynote. 
Let's also be clear. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us, by a powerful community as you here in this room. We have the means to improve the states of the world. But two conditions are necessary. The first one is that we act all as stakeholders of larger communities, that we serve not our only self-interests, but we serve the community. That's what we call stakeholder responsibility. And second, that we collaborate. And this is the reason why you find many opportunities here during the meeting to engage into very action and impact-oriented initiatives to make progress related to specific issues on the global agenda. Um, no thanks, Klaus. Global cooperation as a part of a community of nations is obviously necessary, but not the globalism of progress driven by unelected elites that you preach. Make no mistake, this is a dangerous forum that thinks the COVID lockdowns are a good way to force compliance on other issues like climate change. These people do not represent the sovereignty of nations because nations are governed by people that you and I elect. Government of the people, by the people and for the people is our system. Klaus's system is control of the people by the elites for whatever agenda the elites decide are priorities. Among the unelected elites pontificating about reshaping the world without the pesky problem of elections was Australia's taxpayer-funded e-safety commissioner, Julie Inman Grant. You won't believe what she proposed. We are finding ourselves in a place um, where we're, we have increasing polarization everywhere and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're gonna have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online, you know, from freedom of speech to the freedom to, you know, to be free from on online violence or the uh, right of data protection to the right to child dignity. Now, why is an unelected taxpayer-funded bureaucrat debating our free speech among global elites? Freedom of speech is sacred to Australians and any debate about change to it should not be had there uh, in the Swiss Alps, but here. Well, that's all for Macquarie Street Political Podcast for this week. Thanks to Dave and Aidan at The Good Source News for their production and for helping bring this content uh, to you. Keep up with my political commentary during the week uh, at lyleshelton.com.au. Until next week, thanks for your company and goodbye.